find man unstable in all his ways. Let's pray. Father, work on that double-minded man and woman in all of us, Father God. Help us in the areas of our life that we doubt and don't even realize we're doubting your word, doubting your goodness, doubting your promises, Father God. As we go around and around in circles, Father God, with no change in our life because we don't see and consider it pure joy when we go through trials, Father God, that drive us to you. And that we could be trying to change life without you and not even realizing it. Father, breathe upon the text today, God. Give us insights into our own hearts. From familiar text we ask in Jesus' name. As we've been studying this familiar passage, I think we're beginning to see, at least I am seeing it more than ever before, the importance of how, this, how important this text really is. I got the hiccups too. I'm a mess today, so bear with me, okay? <laughs> I can't drink water because it makes the hiccups worse. I haven't, do well, forget about it. You don't want to know. You don't want to know. Sometimes a familiar verse of scripture, uh, like the one we consider it pure joy, can become just that. It can become just familiar. And what happens is that it really can lose the transforming truth that it's meant to be. This is a transforming truth that's meant to be. But we can get caught up just so quoting James chapter 1 verses 2 to 4 and not realizing that this is supposed and meant to change our life. We started these verses with looking at the end product first. We used the word complete or mature or perfect. Then we worked backwards trying to, you know, looking at the finished product first and the means to the end. We looked at it, what it means to be a complete Christian, to have a, a composite sketch of what God is trying to do to us in our life through the trials that come into our life. The four areas we spoke about was the moral completeness, how to witness for Christ and, and, and deal with persecution. That's not easy. Rejection is not easy. We need to be complete. We need to be mature in this area. When it comes to doctrinal maturity, we are called not to be tossed to and fro by children Doctrinally, we should know our Bibles. We should know our faith. And then in interpersonal ministry, uh, we are called to be mature and to restore people who are caught in a trespass. That's interpersonal maturity, ministry maturity, how God uses us within the context of the church and other believers' lives. Then we looked at some of the dynamics last week that are needed for this. We did a word study on consider, on the word know, uh, on faith, but I spoke most of it on steadfastness last week. Steadfastness is that virtue that is, if we don't have that endurance, and it can be uh, uh, defined as endurance, if we don't have that, we can't get anything else. Steadfastness is the most important virtue characteristic that God wants to form in us. Because without, without it, we can never be, become the complete man, the complete woman of God that he wants us to be. And that a person can continue to show up, and that's what steadfastness is, that a person can continue to show up no matter how hard life becomes. Please don't miss this. That a Christian can show up and serve his Lord no matter how hard life becomes. It, steadfastness is an inner fortitude that comes with, it comes with a slew of virtues that strengthen us. And I gave that example of karate students that would come and they had, you know, grand ideas of becoming a black belt and had ambitions and drive and they wanted to become a, a fighter and 
what would happen is that that can last a little while, but if you don't have fortitude, if you don't have endurance, if you don't have steadfastness, you can never obtain the talents and the gifts and the drive you need. You see, if you want to be that end product, you got to show up when you're not feeling good. You got to show up when you're tired. You got to show up when there's other things going on. You got to show up when you're hurt. You have to show up. To learn these skills, you have to show up. And many people would come and they'd be full of drive and ambition. They get hit a couple of times, I'd never see them again. Or they come on Tuesday, they get a little beat up, and I wouldn't see them for two weeks. You see, that's not steadfastness. You cannot acquire the skills with that double-mindedness. You're in, then you're out. You're in, then you're out. Same thing with the Christian faith. Before God can give me that true, you know, to walk in the joy of the Lord, to have joy and peace and contentment, to have goodness and kindness and steadfastness, to have self-control. If I, I have to show God I'm showing up no matter what. I can't come to church when things are good and for four weeks I don't see you. God's like, I can't do nothing with that Christian. That's a double-minded Christian. The Bible, while I read it, I don't read it. That's a double-mindedness. Nothing changes, no steadfastness. If God is only good because life is good, then understand something. You lack the greatest characteristic and virtue you need as a human being. You need steadfastness. You have to have it. A lot of these students that I taught didn't realize that they had to overcome inner fears was the greatest thing. I had to come over myself. The greatest thing, I was a natural athlete. I learned quickly. But that doesn't win fights. To be a good martial artist, you had to fight the inner fears. The emotional aspect. You needed that pressure on how you're going to react under pressure. I remember learning that you can punch the mirror all you want, but as soon as you get punched in the jaw, you resort to your old ways. Some people run. Some people want to bite the opponent. Some people want to tackle the opponent because they're fearful now. Emotions have gotten in, so they go to their old tactics. You see, but someone who's growing as a professional fighter has to learn not to get distracted by emotions. You got to keep your eyes on the prize, and no matter what the fight throws at you, no matter what life throws at you, you got to keep the eyes on the prize of Christ, the upward calling, and you show up, and you still love the unlovable. You show up, and you still forgive the unforgivable. You show up, and you're still kind to those who don't like you. You still show up, and you're still a Christian, and you still show up when it's beautiful out, and you want to be somewhere else, but you have an obligation to the church, but you still show up. That's a complete Christian. That's how you serve God. That's what it's about. And that's what James is talking about here. It's having that endurance to that steadfastness like Christ had. When you put your hands to the plow, you don't turn back. But here's the thing. No one's born again in the spiritual womb comes out like that. We all have to go through the trials and tribulations. We have to go through these things to consider a pure joy. Because we become complete. We're not born complete. Of course, we're complete in Christ, but we're talking about characteristics. We're talking about character now. And there's nothing you and I can offer to God. And I read this once and it just, you know when something touches you, because I never had to read it again. I memorized it instantaneous. The only thing we can offer to God at the throne is the character he formed in us. That's it. You can't offer God, well, look what I did. Look at all the, all the people that got saved under my ministry and I did this. God could care less. 
Alright? Because all we can do is so God gives the increase. But the only thing we can offer to God is the transformation of our lives. That's all we have. We gotta be like that old Timex commercial that takes a licking and what? It keeps on ticking. Christians need to learn how to get beat up. We need to be inoculated by the hatred of the world and, and inner temptations and out of temptations and still continue to grow in Christ and not go backwards to our old ways. As I use the analogy, as a fighter, a young novice fighter would go back to his old ways. But in the fight game, you can't go back to your old ways. In Christianity, guess what? When things get tough, guess what people want to do? They want to try to experience life in the comfort of the way they used to do it. I'll do it this way. I'll, I'll try it again. I know it doesn't work, but I'll try it again. And we know that old saying, that's insanity. You're trying to do something with different results. It doesn't work. Because it gets challenging. But that's when we're called to pray. And we'll get into the text tonight, to pray. James knows that this considerate pure joy is no exact science. Much of the trials we go through come with great ambiguity. They're not clear. We're going through things. Before you know it, you don't see trials coming. Before you know it, life is just hard. It could be lonely. It could be anything. Various trials could mean anything. But usually it has to do with our Christian faith. So he encourages those who don't have wisdom to ask God. This is what I really want to pick up tonight. But I love the way he addresses the problem. He says, anyone lacks wisdom. This is beautiful. Wisdom is the ability to see circumstances you're going through from God's perspective. That's important. This is not about muscling it up and trying to try harder. It's seeing life from God's perspective. Then act accordingly to how God would want us to act. And we can rely on him for the strength. This is godly knowledge and action. This is Bible study in action. This is preaching in action. This is teaching in action. This is prayer in action. This is God blessing you in action. When we go through the hard times, that's wisdom. How to live a godly life in an ungodly society. That's the wisdom the Bible talks about. What's the beginning of the wisdom? The fear of the Lord is. Before I step out of the house, I want to live for the Lord. That's wisdom. Lack means to fall short, or actually it means to be incomplete. And that's interesting because the, the verse before that had to be complete. And it's interesting, when you put the two words together, what James is saying is it tells a story and it's clear. I'm going to give you a paraphrase, okay? This is what he's telling this church. If you lack wisdom... Which is obvious because you're always going around the same circle again and again and again with no real changes taking place. So apparently you need wisdom. That's what he's saying. I'm going to say it again. If you lack wisdom, which is obvious because you're always going around the same circle with no real changes taking place in your life. If you have tried everything in your own strength, it's time to ask God once and for That's what's going on in this church. I'll develop this as we go on. This is not just some kind of religious... 
uh, saying, oh, consider it pure joy. No, James is writing to a specific situation. He's fully involved. He knows everything that's going on here. And he chooses to address, and we're gonna, if you read the rest of the five chapters, I hope you do, we're going through it on Monday night. The church is a mess. Here's a pastor who has taken a step back from what he knows is going on with these believers. He's made an assessment in his mind and in his heart, and now he's going to address that. And what he knows this church needs is prayer. It doesn't need any more counseling. There comes a time in counseling where you don't need any more counseling. Guess what you need? You need to pray and not doubt. That's what he's saying. That's as pastoral as you can get. He's writing as a pastor. Again, if you lack wisdom, which is obvious because you're always going around the same circles, is anybody in this room going around the same circle? Is it the same trial again and again and again? Guess what you lack? I lack wisdom. Guess what I lack? Guess what we lack? We lack wisdom. And I like this. It says, if any of you lacks, you see, that's a self-assessment. That's an honest self-reflection and self-assessment is called upon, is paramount to any substantial change ever to take place. Please don't miss this. You see, I'm not allowed to tell you you lack wisdom. Who has to make that a who has to make that assumption? The individual. So I ask you, are you going around in circles in anywhere of your life? Is it the same thing over and over? Are the years going on and nothing's changed? I'll ask you this. Do you have the honesty to say, I might... You need to do that. You, mean that you might need to do that. See, this is where I see many fall short in life, and I've seen this fall short in my own life. This is so pastoral. There are times that others can help and are needed, but this is a time when only gut-wrenching honesty will do. I don't want you to miss if you're lacking wisdom. James is not just throwing something out there, some kind of religious cliche, if you lack wisdom. No, James is saying, you genuinely might genuinely lack biblical wisdom on the will of God. On who the person of God is or the attribute, you might not really believe that God will bless you. Alcoholics Anonymous, they know this reality and they have this written in how it works. It says this Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to this simple program, usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. Understand something. Alcohol's Arms is a wonderful program, and it works well, but they nailed it. If you are unconstitutionally incapable of being honest, then there's no help. The world knows that honesty gets to the root of the problem. When he says, if you lack wisdom, understand something. When the pastor drops that at the door of your conscience, you have to take that serious and say, 
I'm going through this over and over. It's the same dialogue in my mind over and over and over and over. Nothing's changing in my life. You have to leave this room today, leaving with this message in your heart saying, do I lack wisdom? Am I honest downside deep in my heart? We know that this is significant towards any change in life. Alcoholics and analysis know that for any change in sobriety, you have to be gut-wrenching honest. Listen to what it says here. Their chances are less than average. They go on to say this. There are those two who suffer from grave emotional and mental disorders. But many of them do recover if they have the capacity to be honest. One of the greatest saints in this church that blesses me in and out falls into this category. But yet they have the ability to be thoroughly honest. And God blesses their inner life. Honesty is the answer. If you lack wisdom, we have to make a self-assessment of ourselves. I cannot tell you, you know something, you lack wisdom. But I can tell you this, is anything changing in your life? And if you say, well, not really, then guess what? If the shoe fits, you got to wear it. Chances are you lack wisdom. And this is why when God is working on any area of our life, which we spoke about, it could be the moral life, it could be a bunch of different things. Honesty, this is the importance of honesty. God is not concerned with dealing with the fruit of our consequences and dealing with the fruit of our sin. He's only concerned about dealing with the root of the problem. And he cannot deal with the root of the problem unless the various trials are revealing to us, to ourselves and to God and others that there's something deep within me that has to change. I might be lacking wisdom. Otherwise, everything is superficial and short-lasting. And we're going to find ourselves back in the same place again. Again, I ask... What is it you're fighting? What is it you're going toe-to-toe? What is it in your life you know God wants to change because he loves us, but it's not changing? Are we relying on our own strength? Am I praying? Am I praying the right way? Am I doubting? Is it possible to be a born-again New Testament believer and still doubt? Praise God for that answer. Chances are we're all doubting and we don't even realize it. I'll get into it later on. He goes on to say this, if you do do this honest evaluation, if you do qualify as someone who lacks wisdom because things aren't changing and you're going through a year in and year out, nothing's changing and you're crying out for, for change in your life and God's saying, no, it's on the inside, it's an inside job over here. You might lack wisdom. This is what James says. If you do lack wisdom, let him ask God. <laughs> Man, what a mind blower that is, you know? Uh, wow, I never thought of that. I've been a Christian 30 years. Uh, uh, duh. I'll ask my father. Who gives generously to all without a reproach, and it will be given to him. See, James moves on now from the one who lacks wisdom to him and only him who can supply the wisdom you need. God created you. He knows what you and I need. He knows right now, whatever you're going through, he knows what you need. And he can give it to you. He encourages prayer 
and qualifies God at the same time. Let's start with the prayers. Let's start with asking. It seems these Christians have lost the art of prayer. So you wouldn't know that unless you're familiar with the whole book. It seems these Christians have lost the art of prayer. James's theology on prayer in this epistle is that this church is delinquent in their prayer life. Did you know that? I'm glad you asked. Listen to chapter 4, verses 1, 2, and 3. You ready? Same book, same people. Nothing's changed. It probably took them two hours to write this epistle. The same people. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder one another in your heart. You covet and cannot attain, so you fight and quarrel with each other on the outside. You do not have because you do not ask. You're delinquent in asking. And when you do ask, you don't receive because you ask wrongly. Let me tell you something. It seems these Christians were asking God for their wants and not what they really needed. It seems clear that God, for these Christians, took the role of giving material blessings and not a God of the inner life, the intangible blessings of a Christ-like character. Don't miss that. They became a worldly church. He rebukes their wisdom. He rebukes their rich. He rebukes their desire to get rich. James has to reintroduce them to what God is all about. The inner person. I I wonder how much hardship is in this room because the American dream is not being performed in your life. And I mean that. Before we know it, we're asking, but we're asking amiss. Because we're asking for the American dream when we should be asking, God, change my jealous nature in my heart. I'm jealous of everybody. God, change my, my suspicion of everybody. God, change my, 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 my self-righteous attitude that I'm better than everybody else. God, change my inner man. I'm going through the trial. Why is it I lack patience in my life? That's what God's about. This church had to be totally reintroduced on what the Christian faith is all about. They forgot. Because if you chase the world, guess what? You're going to forget about God. So clear is it that James says, a friend of the world is... They're the same epistle, same people. He's not writing to do two or three different types of... It's the same group of people. They forgot the way. And guess what God does to get us back to the way? Trials. Praise God. Consider it pure joy. You think God's going to allow you to go down the wrong way and bless it? People do. This church really thought this is what happened. In ancient times, the Jew who was blessed materialistically was thought to be blessed by They carried that over into their Christian life. The rich in this epistle were lording it over everybody. And everybody else wanted to be like the rich. They're all mixed up. It's, It's about being like Jesus. If you're poor, be like Jesus. If you're rich... 
be like Jesus, now you can go home and read verses 9 and 10, because that's what it's all about. James has to reintroduce them to what God is all about. It's the inner person. It's complete. This is the armor of God. This is what... This is what Jesus meant and John meant by ask whatever you want in my name and what? You ask anything that has to do with Christ-like character and nature, God's going to deliver through various trials. You want patience? He'll give it to you. Be careful what you ask for. You want joy? You want self-control? I told you that, and I'll share it again. When I first got saved, lust was like, you know, my, my eyes were like, forget about it. I'm like, I love the Lord, but I'm a trainer in a gym, and it's Jane Fonda time, and everybody's running around with thongs on, and I'm like, God, you've got to be kidding me. I'm a 30-year-old man. I don't want this. I really thought, like, I've got to get out of this place. You see, but God says, no, no, no. I'm going to teach you self-control. Amen. But you've got to be steadfast. You've got to still show up no matter what. You've got to go through the process. You see, you know, I could still be living a monotonistic lifestyle somewhere, hiding on some island, but I wouldn't have changed. I'd still be immature in my faith. Well, God wants to teach you that you can walk into the gym and know what's shaking this way and what's shaking that way. You can keep your eyes straight. See, God wants to teach men that. Are you with me? This is not about running. God's not about running. Jesus didn't run. He showed up because he was a complete man. God doesn't want you running and me running. He wants us showing up to be complete men and complete women of God. Not to run at every trial, every tribulation, every temptation that overcomes us. Every trick and cunning of Satan. We stand tall and we stand strong. We're Christian men and Christian women. And that's why he tests us. And when you ask for self-control, when you realize how out of control you are, and you want to honor God, guess what God will do? He'll bless you. This is what the book of James, the recipients of this book, they lost their whole... They forgot about what Christianity is about. America has lost what Christianity is all about. If it's not big, and it's not enormous, and it's not uh, some kind of show going on, and if, it's not, if it doesn't look like God is coming down every Sunday, they think, well, you know, there's nothing going on over there. They... They read the Bible. How old-fashioned is that? They go to Sunday school. Get with the program. Come on. Get hip. It's the 21st century. Jesus is traded in his sandals for a pair of Prada or something. No, it's still old-fashioned religion. Jesus is concerned about the inner man. He's concerned about not being a friend of the world, so you're not an enemy of God. Nothing's changed. Nothing. Don't ever think that God has changed. They thought he changed in this epistle, and James has to say that God is not a shifting shadow. This church became worldly and they forgot how to pray. That if God is willing, then what's wrong? If God is so generous, God is so willing to give this character development and not material blessings, 
then what's the problem? We have this picture of God as all generous character giver, ready to give at once whenever we need it, more than willing and able to meet all our spiritual needs. Brian, tell me what's wrong. James, tell me what's wrong. I'll tell you what's wrong. They were asking, but they were doubting. He gives a disclaimer. True faith with, without it, you cannot please God. Did you know Hebrews chapter eleven six? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith believes what God says about himself. That's what faith does. You see, as a pastor, there are times all I can do is put Jesus before you in the scriptures. And then you've got to take over. There's nothing I can do. It's your faith. Even if someone has a big picture of Christ and lives for Christ and lives an honorable life, understand something. The best they can do is point you to Christ. We can't lift it. We can be there. We'll pray with you. We'll walk with you. We'll love you. We'll cry with you. We mourn with those who mourn and we rejoice with those who rejoice, but we can't do it. Doubt is the enemy of faith. He gives this disclaimer. Faith believes what God says about himself. The doubting spoken here, please understand something. The doubting spoken here is not the normal apprehension a believer has when they're going through a long process of waiting on God. That's not, that's, that's, that's apprehension. That's, that's fear. That's, but you're still holding on to God. That's not what he's talking about here. But this is to come to a decision. This is the, what the doubt means. Is to come to a decision whether formalized or not, in their mind and heart, that God won't give it or he can't give it. So they don't bother asking. I'm not worthy. I've heard that before. I'm not worthy, Pastor. I'm not worthy. I'm not, no, I can't ask. I'm not worthy. Well, he really doesn't care for me. He's got more. He's got bigger issues. There's no bigger issue than your issue. Did you hear that? There's no bigger issue to God then you are an issue. That's the big issue. No matter what it is, it's never too small for God. It has all his attention. Whatever you're going for, whatever you need, it has all God's attention and all God's resources for you. Or God can't answer the prayer. It's outside his control. James pulls no punches here. He describes such a person as a drunken man stumbling from one side of the street to another, tossed to and fro. The action man says double-minded man. It means double-souled man. And this is what happens in a worldly church, in a worldly time, in a worldly Christian. Listen, here's where the doubt comes in. Half of your heart is in the world with its worldly answers and its worldly convenient wisdom. It's listening to everybody but the Bible. Well, my aunt said this, and my uncle said this, and he said that. And well, I said, how many people did you talk to? You mean today? Uh, about fifteen people. That's worldly wisdom. That doesn't work. That's a double-souled man. Half their heart is in the world looking for an answer. The other heart is weak in faith, and it knows God is the answer, but doesn't go to God. Okay. 
the exercise of faith is going to God saying, God, I know you are the answer. You are the only way. When Sister Lorraine came into the back room this afternoon and she was crying out and she had the beginning of bipolar was coming upon her and she was home and she didn't want to come to church because she got some strange manifestations and she said, God, I have to go to church. My church family and you are the only answer. That's faith. That's steadfastness. And that's what God honors. That's what he honors. This is not a person saying, well, I don't know. This is a person saying, I do know. And I need him now more than ever before. That's faith. And then I sit there as the pastor saying, praise the Lord. It's the best sermon. Adele gave a sermon to me and Terry Nicole a couple of weeks ago. One of the best sermons I've ever heard. That's, that's, that's wisdom. That's, that's someone who doesn't lack wisdom. That's someone who has an overabundant wisdom. Going through the trials and going through the tribulations of life, they don't lack wisdom because they know they go to God. And they're going to show up no matter what happens. Speaking to one guy one day, I saw him. I didn't see at church. He goes, I had a tough week and I, I needed a vacation day from church. You can tell him the pastor that? I need to kick back a little bit. Life is so good, I'm just going to kick back. God understand. I'm going to kick back. I haven't seen him in two years. I guess he's really kicking back pretty good. Never saw him again. He was here one day, I never saw him again. You know why? Because they called him out on it. And they lacked steadfastness. Couldn't take the heat from a simple question. I saw him not too long. He's got great tan. I want you to know that. He's got a great tan. But there comes a time in the pastor's life when all my resources, like James, has run out. Preaching, teaching, counseling, pointing someone to Christ. It just doesn't seem to work out. And this is where James is at his best. Because the problem at this point is not the lack of understanding. It's the lack of asking. There's not a person in this room. I, I'm looking at the faces. You're regular. You're regular church attenders, your, your regular Bible study, your regular. You don't lack any information. I can tell you right now, I'll, I'll counsel everybody one time. You ready? <laughs> Session's in. No one in here lacks any information about God. Ask without doubt. There are times, though, that we're scared to ask because we're scared of change. We're scared of change. God really and generally wants to change us from the inside out. He wants us to be so much like his son. And I am talking about a first-hand experience. When I'm praying, I'm like, I got that half-hearted prayer. Oh, God, sort of change me. Terry wants me to change. I don't think it's that bad, God. I think I'm all right over here. But Terry wants me to change. I love the way my, my wife prays in the morning. Oh, Lord. I'm like, oh, no. Please help Brian and the laundry list comes out. But she's right. What am I going to tell you? Your wife. I'm like, oh, God. I, tell, I feel like I married John the Baptist or John MacArthur some days. I'm like, 
But the truth of the matter is, if I didn't have that, I wouldn't change. So praise God. For all of us who have godly wives, bless God. But I, I, I really want to hit this home. I'm going to ask everybody here, how's your prayer life? How's the genuine prayer life? I'm not talking about worldly prayers. I'm not talking about material needs. I mean, so strong is this teaching that Jesus says, just pursue the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all material things are added on to you. You don't even have to ask. Do you know the Bible never says ask for bread? And God gives it to you. The righteous never go for hunger. Never go for hunger. God feeds you. He'll clothe you. Do whatever. That doesn't mean we don't ask for certain needs at certain times. But if I never ask for another meal, guess what? Doesn't mean I'm going to lack a meal. Or a roof over my head or clothes to wear. God will never do that. But what he wants me to do is be like Christ. And you and I have to know the areas of our life that we're going around and around and around. Can you identify one place in your life today that it seems you're going around and around? I don't know, maybe, maybe you're perfect. Maybe you're there. Maybe you're mature. But there's an area that you're going around and around. And you're a little half-hearted prayers. And when the fire gets hot, you pray a little harder. But when the storm passes, you're back there just praying lukewarm prayers again. You know, maybe you're doubting. Maybe you're doubting that God really wants to change you or, or he really can change you. We go to application with those. As much as this text is about the trials we go through and the lessons we learn, the character we gain, is so much more about the faith we have, which shows up in our prayer life. You cannot separate prayer life and faith. You cannot. When you have the confidence of knowing who God says he is, you will have an extremely profitable and productive prayer life. It's not about, well, how do I pray? It's not about, well, find 20 minutes in the morning. Listen, that's a methodology. And sometimes you've got to help people out when you have a busy schedule how to pray. But sometimes you've got to point to people and say, sometimes it's not about time. Do you have the faith? Because when you have the faith, all you need is a minute with God. That's all you need. The Gentiles pray over and over. God doesn't hear them for them many words. But when we pray, we go into the room. We go to our Heavenly Father. And we pour out our heart before God. That's what we're talking about here. If you lack wisdom, go pour your heart out before God who gives generously. Father, we love you. We're at the bottom of our heart, Lord. And you know our frame, you know we're just dust, we're just mere men and women, Father God. And thank you for your extreme patience with us, Father God. And God, help us in our prayer life. If, if worldliness is getting in the way of our prayer life, Father God, then help us, Father God. Because the worldly Christian does not want to be like Christ. Christ has nothing to do with this world. Only the next, Father. So, Father God, show us all in the areas of our life that we might be weak in our prayer because we're comfortable in this world. God, are we comfortable in this world? Do we like the wisdom that the world gives us? The status quo wisdom that changes nothing? Or do we want life-transforming truth and a life-transforming prayer life to go to a God without doubting Believing beyond a shadow of a doubt that where else can we go? You have the words of life in Jesus' name.